Welcome, neighbor, to Folk U Radio, Folk University's talk show, taking old school viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring? Today's episode is produced in collaboration with Cortez Currents, What's Current on Cortez and Beyond. Hello. What does back to school look like during a pandemic? Many people in our area are asking this very question, and we're asking what can we learn about the future of education through this time? Dr. Bonnie Henry, who has been widely lauded for guiding BC so well through the pandemic, has said that it is important for the wellness of our community to get people to go back to work and to have children return back to school. She also refers to the survey that the province did, which points to the importance of providing in-class instruction to BC families. She says, we do know there have been downside impacts of children being at home. Even in families that have access to internet and computers, it has been very, very challenging. We've heard that from parents across the board, 80% of parents, 300,000 people who answered this survey, 80% of them said they had challenges and their children were suffering not being in the classroom setting. So that was our focus, and we have layers of protection to do that, she says, end quote. Back to school, however, in a pandemic certainly looks different. Why all schools have had to come up with plans to limit children into large family-style groupings and to dramatically limit contact between groups, not everyone feels safe sending their children back to in-class learning all the time. Families with vulnerable members at home or with grandparents in their lives may not feel safe sending their kids for in-class instruction at all. Children who have any signs of illness have to stay at home for up to 10 days or more, and thus absenteeism is likely to go up for all kids. So how will children and teachers get continuity in learning and create meaningful connections with children and between children? These issues of distance, isolation, lack of options and resources aren't new to islanders seeking an education. Perhaps what we learned from trying to figure out how to provide education during this time will help inspire a change in education that will benefit all students, especially those most in need. Those with learning differences, racialized minorities and Aboriginal students, and those living in rural and isolated communities. Many in Canada say we are still failing these students. 
The Chief Assembly on Education says that secondary school data from 2004 to 2009 identifies the rate of First Nation graduation at approximately 36% compared to the Canadian graduation rate of 72%. According to a study that was called Breaking the Cycle of Failure by Charity Intelligence Canada, in rural communities, high school students drop out a rate of 16% almost double that of the urban rate of 9%. Besides rural, stu rural students, the study points to four other groups that drop out at rates that are higher than the Canadian average. Aboriginal, ESL and immigrant students, black students, and boys. So if we play our cards right, maybe learning how to meet the needs of different families and students during a pandemic will teach us how to better provide for all students, even in the good times. Today on our show, we have five administrator educators here to discuss what back to school looks like for different members of our community during this pandemic. And they're gonna help inspire us to what education may look like in the future. First up, I welcome Fred Schwab. I hope I got that right. Fred is the new principal of Quadra Island School, which serves K through grade five. He recently left an administrator position at Campbell River, specifically to be at a small, more rural school. Welcome, Fred. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, it worked. It <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this um, recent move that you made from administrative position in Campbell River to Quadra. And what motivated the move and what you see as the potential and challenges of rural education? Yeah, um, it was it was a, an interesting move. I was the principal at Clary Secondary, and so I went from the the largest school in the district to to be the principal of the smallest school because I'm I'm also the principal of Search Narrows Elementary School or Search Narrows School. Um, I have been the principal at Clary High. I've I've been there for six years, four years as the principal, two years as the vice principal, and and in a high school as as complex and busy as Curry High, six years is about the, the shelf life of a principal, um, and that's just it's it's always good to move. and And I have always been one up for new challenges. So I asked for uh, looking forward for a smaller school, and 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 when Quadra School and Search and Arrows came up, I I was I was fully hooked. Um, I I just love the concept of of a community school and, and Quadra is and, and it's like Cortez school they're, they're more community focused because we are serving one community on, unlike a, an elementary school in town where you, you sort of serve a, an enrollment area it's not necessarily a community so Quadra, Cortez Search, um, Sabert they, they're really community schools <coughs> sorry so so that that was a, a something that that I was very interested. I was principal in in Bella Bella in, in in the community school, which is it's a band school, and and that just opens other opportunities. So, and, and challenges um, for a, in a rural education like like here in Quadra and Surge, I think challenges are quite often opportunities. Like you said in your introduction, it's a big challenge. What happens right now with with this pandemic with COVID, and but within a challenge like this, there there have to be opportunities. Like like you said, that we we suddenly see 
different ways of 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 learning for children and and we open up different avenues so so there there is opportunities in there to to come out of that uh much with much more variety i think that's 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 a, a very important part um and and i i feel that for public education and and i value public education very highly it it really is sort of a ultimate equalizer in society but I think we really, really need to to learn something from what we're doing right now when we when we move on past past COVID, and and I don't think schools can look the same anymore after that. I hope they don't. I, I really hope that that we can open schools up and at every level, like from elementary right to 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 grade twelve. So, Fred, can you tell us a little bit more about what back to school? actually looks like on Quadra and Surge Narrows. Um, and, and specifically, I've heard that you're doing some outdoor learning and blended learning options. So can you talk about everything from the sort of in-class to the more hybrid um, to, the, to the more extreme for people who are not able to come into the building at all? Yeah. Yeah, well, so what I did in, in middle of August, we I had some parents from Quadra contact me and, and we met and, and we listened to their concerns and then we put out a little survey here at the school and, and just asked the normal questions like how do you feel are you are you thinking of bringing your children back and what would it take to bring your children back and so that survey really helped and, and those those parents really helped in in deciding how to start the school up here so and the district set us up with a, an opportunity to do what we call e-blend, which is a, a blended learning with a, with a teacher in the school who who connects with kids who mostly work at home in this situation. And the district allowed us to have a local teacher here at at at, at Quadra School. Normally, e-blend runs out of Robron Center, and and teachers would be up there. But with this situation, we the district made it possible to have individual schools. So one of our teachers here on Quadra took on the eBlend program, and it just worked out perfectly at our school. We 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 had six classes in June, and we still have those six classes, but we had to reshuffle them a little bit. So so what what this teacher now what the opportunity there is for for students to work at home. To receive work at home, it this can be online or it can be in paper in paper form. Um, and once a week, roughly, generally in in an eBlend system, you you have uh, connection days where students come together. But here at Quadra, um, one of the concerns of parents was that they don't really want their children to go into the building. So we <clears throat> will make it possible for those connection days to happen outside. And outdoor education at Quadra School is is a big piece of the curriculum. All the teachers have really bought into that. So you'll see a lot of kids out doing learning outside, outside of the classroom, <clears throat> which which I absolutely love. And that was one of the big draws for me to come to Quadra. So we have children in in the classroom in a in a regular program. They um, they are here five days a week from 8:45 till 2:30, like like they were last year, and and but also 
children in a regular classroom program have a, an option or parents have an option of maybe sending the child three days a week or every second day or or some parents maybe right now are just waiting to see where this is all going maybe they're not sending them yet at all so our teachers are really flexible uh, uh, throughout the district to to make those individual choices possible so uh, a, a teacher would just send work home if a student is not here or if a teacher knows a student is going to be away for a couple days they will just give the student the work along that they will work on the next two days and if the student comes back or when the student comes back then the student will bring that work back and 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 so students should be pretty well on par with the class all through this and and that that this is really something and this it's a blended learning concept where where you blend learning at school and at home and and together with the whole outdoor concept here at Quadra, it, it just takes kids outside of the of the building more often. I'm wondering how um, how difficult this is for the teachers and whether it's been uh, I imagine it's a lot of additional work um, and uh, you know, anxiety, um, you know, every time you have a different child with special, you know, with different needs now of which there's more than ever. Um, it's a lot to put on the teacher's plates. How has that been uh, working with the teachers and I imagine with the union? Uh, and I'm, I, this is, I'm just sort of throwing this question in there, but I'm wondering how that's been going. Okay, yeah, that's, that has been that those are ongoing conversations i know between the union uh, the teacher federation and 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 senior management what what i what i ask teachers to do is like this should not be much work much more work in the sense of what we did in from march to june where where teachers connected with the regular classroom teachers connected with students at home um, if a teacher has 20 students in a class, you would, that teacher would usually prepare for 20 students anyway. So, so now some teachers are very technolo technology savvy and they, they already have, many teachers have their own setup online where students and parents can go and check work that they're missing. A lot of teachers are already doing that and, and other teachers are just using paper so and 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 sending that paper paperwork home so from that point it shouldn't it's not that we're not asking teachers to work two jobs absolutely not what what we did from from march till june was we learned a lot in that in that in those four months of especially what what, what the workload which which just it can't be too big so more or less if, if a child is not here they're doing the work that the other children do in the classroom at home independently with with the help of from their parents and then when when they're coming back they're bringing the work back so it's a little bit more work in the sense of that it is new and and teachers have to reorganize things absolutely uh the district also has been very generous with because the additional funding that was received to federal from the federal government here in, in our district, uh, the, the decision was made to really use that money to support eBlend, and instead of collapsing classes, to leave the classes at 
just at smaller sizes, plus having e-blend teachers. So, so that that is um, that will help teachers as well. But it is it is a relearning. Uh, it is we're doing things differently. And at the beginning, there will be more work, absolutely. But that's constant communication with the union is happening. Thank you. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about uh, about Carrie High? Um, I and what back to school is looking like there. It's a much larger school, way more complexity, um, and I know that a lot of people, uh, a lot of the teenagers from both Cortez and Quadra, as well as other areas, of course, use that as their high school. So tell us a little bit about what people, what the students are experiencing um, in Cary High this year. Yeah, I was just, I was at Cary High yesterday after school here and I talked to Luis, the principal there. Yeah, Cary High, it's, it is much more complex because you have over 800 students and, and many different programs. So what the district decided uh, once after the announcement in July, when the government changed the, that stage and decided that all students have to go back full time, the district, um, our district decided to have high school students go into what they call eight uh, courses. That's five week courses. So students will have one course per day per day for five weeks, uh, and. It's, it's it's based on a Copernican model where you where you lengthen the course times and you shorten the amount of courses per day. Originally, we had planned for two two courses, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and that would have worked well with with in the original setup of having half the students there. But once we were asked to have 100% of students in at 100% of the time, then the the switch was made to one course. Uh, again, this is this is very new for teachers, and, and you're absolutely right. There is that comes with anxiety. Uh, we have never really done that. The, the advantages there is that you're now with a group of students for five weeks, every day, all day long, which can be challenging, but it also can really build to good relationships. You get to know those students. And, and I have heard from students who said, you know what, this is really working for me because I only have to focus on one course. I don't have two heavy academic courses at one time. I can focus on one course, and and, and it really lessens the anxiety, of some, the anxiety of some of the students. So that's how, how Clary High is working it. Um, they have a staggered starting time, staggered lunch times, and and talking to Louise uh, yesterday, she said the students are really taking very well to it. Uh, as soon as students are in the hallways, when they're out of their cohorts, they, their, their masks go on. It's, and, and she said there hasn't been any issues yet. I mean, we're, we're one week in, and, and, and there will be issues. We know that. Uh, that's why students are students. And, but it's, it's, and I see the same here at Quadra. The students are extremely resilient. They come back and and they wear their masks and and it just becomes a, a, a it just becomes what you do at school, it becomes another routine. So that's I I, I can't talk too much about Clary, but but that's what I know what 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 is happening there. I um, I, you know first when I heard about uh, this new um, block model five weeks at a time, I was like oh that seems really intense, but then I've since talked to. 
some parents from uh, from this island, and the kids seem pretty excited. I mean, one, they're resilient, but also this potentially leads to um, a great option for people who live in remote communities like Cortez and also Quadra. And rather than having to send your kid over for you know ten months straight, basically um, not missing any days, now perhaps. Um, students could decide that some things that they can learn online and other things they want to go and just attend five weeks and, you know, and be there to really do science with a group and be really engrossed in science and having labs and that kind of instruction. But maybe later they take five weeks and come home and do math online so that they don't perhaps have to be quite so divided from their home community. Um, are you seeing anybody uh, expressing that kind of um, appreciation yet, or is it still too early to say? Well, it's interesting. When, when I sat with Louise last yesterday evening, we <coughs> and we, <coughs> we we t- we talked quite late, and we actually started talking about next year because, as a high school principal, by about December you start planning for the next year. You're you're fully engulfed in the next year, and we're already now looking forward to like. What does should the school look like next September? And we were talking about that that whole blended learning idea, where you, yeah, where you maybe have a cohort of students and and within maybe four or five teachers with, within the main core academic courses, and and you would just like you just said, you you might say, you know what, I I need a little bit more help with my math, but I'm fine here with English, and and. I think that's that's the hope that out out of this pandemic, out of this situation that is, I mean, it's terrible, but something good might come out of it. That and, and teachers have have been extremely extremely flexible. They have this is about the fourth uh, model of education that they 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 were facing, and 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 of course that it, it creates anxiety and it creates a lot of more work, but. I feel, we, and, and when Louise and I talked, that is the hope that we're coming out of this with a with a much more flexible education that that just will work much better for, especially for rural students, like like you said. And so maybe a student, yeah, absolutely can go in. I need help with that course, but this I can do online, and that just opens up way more opportunities and and, and flexibilities and freedoms for students. Absolutely. So that that's the hope, and that's what we're looking forward. So, can you um, tell me a little bit what you hope or think that the future of education, um, you know, could look like in the best case scenario uh, on Quadra in the region, if we were to really use this pandemic as a catalyst for change? Quadra specific, I, I, our really big focus will be on the outdoor education program. I, I just, I think kids, especially kindergarten to grade five, they, they need to be outside. Um, it's, it's, it's sometimes sad, to, and, and, and the teachers do their best, and they're not. It's not anymore that kids sit in a classroom in a desk for uh, five hours a day or six. But, but our main focus here on Quadra will be. You know, we, we we would need a structure outside, and the ser- same goes for search and arrows. We we have we have put in a little little proposals to the district, and the district has said they're going to discuss if maybe some of that funding will be um, available for outdoor ed- education programs. 
to really get students out out of the classroom and and again to to maintain that flexibility so so families you know if a student is sick we we have to ensure that the student stays on par so that we can do the same for a student who maybe goes on a vacation or or a student who is away for for half a year on adventures with the family so to to I think what what we learn from this, which is my hope, what I see in the future, is that high school K two twelve is going to be taught in cohorts uh, of groups of students with groups of teachers. I can envision, and maybe I scare some teachers, but that you would take a, a group of in in a in an elementary school, maybe a K two five group, where the older kids take care of the younger kids and and. In, in in high school, maybe you take a, a grade nine cohort and you take them all the way through through to graduation. Uh, would just that would just create a lot of better relationships. You wouldn't have a hundred different kids every semester. It it but that's sort of what I what I envision what, coming out of this that we really focus on that whole cohort models and there are many many different models to run cohorts. So that's that's my hope. Wow, I never even um, thought of that as an outcome. And I have been really lucky because uh, before I moved here, my kids got to be part of a Waldorf school that follows a cohort model um, where you stay with, you know, one teacher stays with a class anywhere from four to eight years. And um, and and then here we are on an island where we once again have a cohort model uh, on Cortez. The um, most years K through K and one or K through two are with one teacher for all those years, and then two through five with another teacher, and it's been wonderful for my yeah. children. Um, so I, I I think that is a very positive idea for um for those uh, uh, people who are do not have kids in school at all can you explain a little bit about the way that the province is using the word cohort um and what those groupings look like yes i was i was a bit worried when the province started using the word cohort because i thought that might um it might then be some close connected to to an emergency kind of teaching and 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 so we're 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 trying to use the word learning groups or, or bubbles <laughs> i'm it's just i don't want next year some of teachers to be no but covid is over we don't have to do that anymore and we don't i don't want this to have some sort of a bad become a bad reputation so so the province uses cohorts what they call cohorts as and they said in an elementary school there could be up to 60 students, and, and that includes staff in a cohort. What, what we have here, and I think throughout the district, I know in Quadra for sure, we, we have every class is their own learning group or their own bubble. So we have around 20 students per class. We have one class at 25, the other one's just around 20. Um, th- that includes a teacher and maybe a, an education assistant in one class. And they become a bubble. They become a learning bubble. So when those children are in the classroom, they they don't have to wear their masks. Teachers, teachers, I think our teachers choose to wear masks, which is absolutely fine. It just adds another layer of protection, especially to the students and the teachers. So so our learning cohorts are 
at, at the maximum of 20, 25 plus two staff. Uh, and that's what the province refers to as cohorts, and I, I wasn't very thrilled about that. Uh, so in the, according to the province, there could be 60. So, but there is really no need right now to group classes together. We're just working with our, with, within our classes. At the high school, they were talking about up to 120 per cohort. Again, uh, this is why District 72 went to the one course, one one for five week system. That reduces the cohort right down to those. I mean, in a high school class, you have a maximum of 30 students in the class. So you have 30 students and, and one teacher. Again, it, it, it just brings the cohorts down or those learning bubbles. That's uh, that's, but that's how the, the the Ministry of Education sees the cohorts. Um, I'm going to start using the bubble phrase too. Yeah. In solidarity with you, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time uh, from your busy, busy world uh, over there to share with us uh, here at CKTZ 89.5 FM. I really appreciate it. Is there any um, last-minute words of inspiration or encouragement you want to share with our listeners? Okay, I think the the most important thing is that and the whole community needs to know that like safety is, is in the forefront. And, and I ta- told at our first staff meeting, I told staff, let's just put education on the back burner for September. Let's We need to rebuild the learning community here because those students have not been in school for, for six months. And safety is just absolutely in the forefront for the students, but for the staff, but also for the wider community. That's what we're focusing on right now. Uh, thank you. I love the idea of of a learning community as something to hold and um, prioritize. Fred, it has been wonderful to have you on. I am so happy to have you a little closer um, in, in our more direct community. Um, the future of education clearly is bright with people like you uh, influencing it. So thank you again. And if people have um, questions uh, about Quadra School and what they heard today, is there a way for them to reach out to you or your staff? Absolutely. Uh, they can call us here at the school or email us. It's our first, last name, and then SD72. So absolutely. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope you have a, a great there, day there, uh, learning and being part of a community together. Good. Thank you very much for your time. Um, okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. You can find us on the World Wide Web at CortezRadio.com. CA. This is your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie, and this is the Folk You Radio Show. If all goes well, we will now be listening to a little music as we wait for our next caller.
listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio. This is your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie, and this is the Folk You Radio Show. This week, we are looking specifically at what back to school looks like during the pandemic, and I am quite pleased to introduce our next guest, Kai Taylor, is the Vice Principal of Distributed Learning Alternate Education and Instructional Technology with School District 72. That's the school district that includes Campbell River Schools, Quadra, Cortez, uh, Serge Narrows. Welcome, Kai. Thank you, Amanda. So nice to have you here. I really appreciate you taking the time. No worries. I know this is particularly busy for all of our (laughs) educators right now. Understatement, yeah. <laughs> so, Kai, let's start by um, looking at this title of yours. What is <laughs> distributed learning? So, distributed learning, in a nutshell, is basically a uh, teacher and student are separated uh, in time and space, sometimes both. Um, some learning is done asynchronously, uh, meaning uh, child the student can do them on their own, uh, or synchronously, uh, where you're doing real time using things like. Zoom, FaceTime, uh, media to speak with your class 
or your student. So it's whatever it takes. Uh, distributed learning is, is quite flexible, and in this province we have a long history of it. Being one of the first provinces that did uh, correspondence and the lighthouse schools and all that stuff. So BC has always been, uh, by our very nature, uh, somewhat distributed. And I am imagining that during these times that our history in having been so flexible uh, with what education looks like is really paying off. Yeah, because a lot of, and and key thing is the history. There is a lot of infrastructure in place. Um, there are some very large distributed learning schools in the province. So you may have heard of ones like Navigator Sides or Northern BC or EBUS. So there is a fairly large um, representation of distributed learning schools throughout the province. Uh, there's even an association of administrators on it. I had the pleasure of being the president of that association for a couple of years. And uh, it's interesting because it is not the normal. Um, it's, it's different. It's uh, the way I've always described is if you look at distributed learning or alternate education, if, uh, if you look in your kitchen, there is one drawer that you have all kinds of things in. And uh, I ask people to describe what that drawer is, and essentially that's what alternate education and distributed learning is. We are never throwing anything out of that drawer, but always adding things to it. And anytime you need something that's a little bit different that doesn't quite fit in the main drawer, you go to that drawer. So can you tell That's us the drawer I get to play in. <laughs> and I like that you use the word play. Um, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about specifically what distributed learning and alternative education programs uh, the school district 72 offers? So in our alternate programs, we have, they're run predominantly out of Rob Ron Center. And so we have full-time attendance programs. So slightly smaller class settings, uh, all subjects by the same teacher and EA and support staff in the area. So, And I know um, Fred used the word cohort or bubbles. Um, so you'd be in a class with that group September to June for all your subject matter. Um, and those are the full-time ones. We also have alternate where students are half day, um, either mornings or afternoon, what works. A lot of our students will either have kids or working or uh, uh, full days too much. So they'll, they can still work on their work uh, with teachers and come to the center for half days. And we have, so we have that in the senior levels and we also have it in the junior levels. So those are the alternate uh, programs. They just don't quite, if it, it's for whatever reason, the regular system is not working for you then uh, we, we often uh, have students come to Robron and find their way. And, and there's one really nice thing about this district is we have a lot of ebb and flow. So we have students, you know, will come to the alt school uh, because it works for them. And we also have students from the alt school that would like to, you know, put their toe in the door at Cary High or Timberline and step in. And, and, and eventually they leave us and they go back and they join the mainstream schools. So that's the nice part is you've got uh, back and forth traffic to meet the students' needs where they're at. Um, as far as the distributed learning one, that's a little bit different. So we also have some online programming. And we have um, embedded teachers 
uh, distributed learning teachers at high schools. So student, you could have a teacher at one of the high school teaching a student from another high school. But what it does allow us is an opportunity for a face-to-face check-in. And again, I'm speaking pre-COVID times, but um, we always had that model set up so that if a student needed additional help, uh, it wasn't working so well online, they could all step into a school, go to one of the uh, support centers, and get the help they needed. And often it was a quick check-in, and then they're back on their feet, and away they go. So those are the alternate ones. Um, Distributed learning-wise, uh, like I said, we do have for the, it depends on what, because I'm looking at the one question you said, what is distributed learning? Uh, the answer to that is depends how old you are and depends what age you're at. So we have an eBlend program, and I know Fred uh, spoke to it and how we've moved it to the greater district, but we've always run an eBlend program, which is our home learning program, and it is centered out of Robron. And we are servicing families that for whatever reason are not wanting to uh, uh, go to the regular bricks and mortar school. And you'll hear me say bricks and mortar because I mean for that, to me that's a traditional school. So they won't, they don't, whether they're traveling, whether they're on the outer islands, uh, for whatever reason, going five days a week is not an option for them. So those would fall into our eBlem program. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, School 372 has looked at taking our eBlend model and, and spreading it around the district this year in response to COVID. So I don't know if that answers your question, but... Yes, that's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about the... Uh, is it eBoss? So eBoss just means eBlend on site. And when we, for us, the eBoss term is uh, it's for students in grades 10 to 12. So again, I can speak pre-COVID times, um, and it's essentially the same now, but what these students would be is they're taking their regular course programming at their high school, and they would like to, or their, and their timetable doesn't quite allow them to do something, so they can take a course outside of the timetable. So they could pick up their math online or their English online. Or you know, a student might be training for some sports team, uh, and, and, you know, they need to train all afternoon. Well, it doesn't fit with a, a, you know, a traditional schedule, so they'll take that course online to free up some time. So that's been running for, oh, I'll have to date myself here, I think we started 13 years ago. And uh, we, at any one time in this town, we usually have what... Uh, we refer to as FTE, so FTE is a one student taking eight courses. So if you do quick math, we're any one time we're running anywhere between 600 to 800 students are taking courses online, one or more courses online. So they could be attending Monday to Friday in their school and then picking up another course and working through the summers too, so we run all year round. So when we were talking earlier, you were mentioning um, about how the numbers for distributed learning have really skyrocketed this year uh, in the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, and how the nature then of distributed learning has changed, um, even though it is not always happening in person uh, during the, the pandemic? Yeah. So, and and that's across. This is across the province. And I and I mentioned to you that you know, speaking with colleagues in Victoria and in Port Coquitlam, 
their numbers have uh, in response. Families are choosing to uh, go the uh, DL route, or we call it distributed learning route, to um, help alleviate some of those concerns about returning to school. Um, yes, the numbers have absolutely gone up. Um, we are uh, processing those as quickly as we can. And the part of the uh, move from the district to offer eBlend and eBoss offerings from sites is in response to that increase. So our little school would not be able to cater to uh, all the increase in demand. So we've leaned on our colleagues and we're hoping to um, and sharing our what we do out on a greater scale. So we can hopefully meet the needs of all our kids. Um, I I know that uh, way out here on Cortez, where we don't have as many uh, students as um, you know there in Campbell River, and parents have been asking, what do we need to do to get uh, what Quadra's gotten, which is kind of like our own uh, e-blend teacher. Yeah. Um, and so, can we? Is there a is there a future for us where we might be able to have that? Yeah, and that's the ultimate is where that you can have the eBlend program, but also still be attached to your site school. Like, and yeah, I know you have Brent Wilkin, I believe, on afterwards, who's the principal at Cortez, and Brent and I have worked for many years back and forth because you know we'd like to. To be able to stay attached to your school and have everything that your your physical school has, there's wonderful opportunities, but also to have the flexibility that DL offers. And in a perfect world, you have both of those, and you can go back and forth. Um, questions for right now, we are just rolling in numbers to see where the requests are, and then we're responding to. And I know Fred spoke to the complexities of staffing and how to move and sh shuffle and shift. And that's what we're doing right now at a large scale. Um, for families that are not wanting to affiliate with a school district 72 school, those they can enroll straight in eBlend. And while it's attached at uh, Robron, uh, Fred did speak to the um, interaction days where we do the social-emotional things. Those have always been an optional. Uh, so again, we find that some of our families that are traveling from distance, Gold River, Reed Island, they will come on a town, I call them townie days. They'll come in for a townie day and their, their student will go and take part in the uh, interaction day. We've also offered interaction days. They've always been optional. And that's when we do our art and our music and our PE and guest speakers and that, all the fun stuff. And are those able to continue during the pandemic? We are still, obviously, those are little nuances that will work out. Um, and again, I know Fred spoke of the bubbles in the cohort model. So as each one of these eBlend teachers in the different sites all over the place, they're going to have to work with their cohort and then work on opportunities that meet the needs of the family and meet the safety needs of the school. So absolutely, our wish is that they still continue. But like Fred, I will echo what Fred said is our first priority is safety of our students. So much to figure out. <laughs> That's a lot. But I think we have, uh, this district does have some fairly uh, bright people making decisions at different levels. So I think we're in good hands.
So what is your hope when you think about where the future of education might go if we were to able to really use the pandemic as a catalyst for positive change? How much time do I have? Oh, How much got, time do I have to talk? <laughs> You've got a solid 10 minutes. <laughs> so I have been, yeah. So this is something I have, I've invested a fairly substantial part of my teaching career. I've been teaching for 25 years. And like I said, 13 years of this has been looking at uh, alternate and distributed learning. And I see distributed learning as uh, a tool, a vehicle for opportunity um, for different things. And, in, and one of my favorite parts of my job is that I always ask families or the student, why? Why are you doing it this way? Why do you want to do it this way? And when I hear the reasons, uh, I don't think I've heard the same reason twice in 13 years. So to me, that is the uh, uniqueness of this. This is a, a mechanism to open up opportunities for other things. So. Being able to move your math class to nighttime when you are on in math. If you're like my 17-year-old son, that's when you're awake. Um, and so that you can free up your schedule in the morning for something else like PE or robotics or something that you really want to take, whereas normally you couldn't take it because it doesn't fit in your timetable. Just on a simple, uh, the most simplistic level, that's where I see the use of distributed learning. I had one unique opportunity to talk distributed learning in the middle of the rainforest in Cape Scott with another program. And I thought, here we are, we're taking our kids out and we're talking about online learning. And because we're doing online learning and we're doing distributed learning, we're able to take our kids out for a week to Cape Scott. And I thought, if I was a kid, I would have liked to have done this way. But I didn't have the opportunity, so I missed a lot of school up in the ski hill and over on Hornby. So. Um, I see this as a, I'm hoping, my hope as we move forward is that we will see successes. We will see failures, but we will see successes in practice. And also it will be a um, opportunity for families to see that this is a way and we'll see, uh, students will see that this works for them. If it doesn't work for them, we have traditional. If it does work for them, we have blended. And I really do look forward to a potential uh, crossover point. And this is something I've spoken to before, that distributed learning will cross over with blended learning, and then eventually we'll just call it learning. And it will we'll find the student, meet the student where they're at, and we can, for want of a better word, hack their education to make it suit their needs. It's such a great vision. I really appreciate it. It is exciting. I do have three kids uh, working through now, and they are. It's fun to watch it through their eyes. That's that. I I I, I bet they're doing it. Each one totally different. Totally different. <laughs> you'd think you'd raise them the same, but all three of them are totally different. Um, I are there any last words of encouragement or um, sage advice that you have for the listeners out there? Um, the only thing I would say is. You know, if if you have a student that is trying distributed learning and it doesn't work, this is not a failure. It's just it didn't work. It's not their learning style. And our job as educators and parents is to find the learning style and as students to know what their learning style is and advocate for themselves and say, this is what I need. And so what I'm really looking forward to is 
more of a, a driver's seat role and students saying, this is what I need, this is how I do it. And us as a school district having the flexibility to say, yeah, we can. And to do that on a, a large scale, not just a, you know, a small eBlend program or a small DL program, but to do it as a, on a full scale. So I'm not sure if the pandemic, uh, I, if you could say there's a silver lining, but possibly that could be your catalyst. I love that vision. If there are people listening who uh, feel like they need you and um, distributed learning um, or want to know more, is there a way for them to reach out to you or other administrators within the uh, distributed learning or alternative learning offerings for school districts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Obviously, if, if Campbell River region would be to reach out to Rob Ron and call the center. Um, There are a large number of DL schools in the province. Uh, I just got a call from Haida Gwaii looking to see if they could enroll. So that's how far this spreads. Um, I would suggest uh, doing a search for DL schools. You can go through the ministry site as well. And uh, look at the programs. And look at what works for your kid. And the students, what works for you? Love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your inspiring vision and all the great things that you're doing um, for our school district. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and the only uh, the last thing I would say is please, you know, just be patient with us because we are we're rising to meet the need, and the need is coming faster than the supply right now. So we'll we'll get there. I promise. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Kai Taylor from School District 72, talking a little bit about the alternative education and distributed learning options that are always available and are also shaping what back to school looks like this year in our district. Thanks again, Kai Taylor. We are going to listen to a little bit of music and come back for the second part of our show asking what does back to school look like in a pandemic and what are we going to learn about the future of education from how we're doing it during this time. chimpanzee the teachers are turtles and tigers and storks and some of my buddies have tongues with forks school of the wild school of the wild everybody's living in the school of the wild school of the wild school of the wild everybody's living in the school of the wild i never know what clothes to wear because sometimes we have class of the with the shark, then music in the meadow with the pies in love. School of the wild, school of the wild, everybody's living in the school of the wild, school of the wild, school of the wild, everybody's living in the school of the wild. Have you ever asked a flea how it jumps so high, or studied navigation with a butterfly? Have you listened to a speech given by a rock? Take me off your block. School of the wild, school of the wild. 
the jaguars with the badger brown. So the seahorse and the servo and the robber say, hush, you'll scare us away if you talk too much. School of the wild, school of the wild, everybody living in the school of the wild. The birds and the bugs and the big blue whale. The scallops and the slugs and everything with a tail. Be like them, get an educated child. Spend your days in the school of the wild. School of the wild, school of the wild. Everybody's living in the school of the wild. School of the wild, school of the wild. Everybody's living in the school of the wild. School of the wild, school of the wild. Everybody's living in the school of the wild. This is your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie, and you are listening to a special edition of Folk U Radio, done in partnership with Cortez Currents. It takes the Folk University model of slow learning, local knowledge sharing, and neighbors, sharing with neighbors, and combines it with Cortez Currents' commitment to covering the news most relevant to our communities at this time. We are on CKTZ 89.5 FM or on the World Wide Web at CortezRadio.ca. Already in this show, we have been lucky to uh, get to hear from two administrators talking about what back to school is looking like during the pandemic and what we can learn about the future of education. We've heard a little bit more about Quadra Island, Surge Narrows, Campbell River High School, and what back to school both looks like in person as well as through our unique distributed learning style. Next up, we have Brent Wilkin, who is the principal of our very own Cortez Island School. And he's going to talk to us, uh, this is a pre-recorded interview, where he's going to talk to us a little bit more about the specific details of what back to school looks like on Cortez Island and whether or not we can have hope for a a brighter future or some long-lasting positive changes in education on our island. Once again, you are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM. Cortez Community Radio, and this is an interview with Brent Wilkin. Hello, Brent. Thank you so much for joining us. 
I was hoping you would start today by talking a little bit about yourself and how you came to be principal of Cortez Island School and a little bit about the advantages and disadvantages that you see of being a small island school like Cortez. Hi, Amanda. Uh, my name is Brent Wilkin. I'm the principal currently at Cortez Island School. I have been the principal since 2012 here. I've been on Cortez as a teacher since 1993. I came initially to work at Linnea School, the now defunct private school that was on the edge of Gunflint Lake. I worked there as a classroom teacher for about 10 years and took a couple of years off to travel to Taiwan and teach there. And another year after that, traveling through the Middle East, wound up back here and there happened to be a posting and I applied and Got it. I was actually hired by our current superintendent, Jeremy Morrow, at the time. Cortez Island School has many advantages and some disadvantages, being uh, quite a rural school within a larger district and catchment area. We have the advantage of um, being left alone and supported, I would say. We have a district's blessing and their help where and when we need it but they often understand our need to provide flexible programming, um, a small classrooms. Uh, we have multi-age groups, which is a wonderful opportunity for many of the kids to, for the older kids to be able to mentor the younger students, for the younger students to have older peers to look up for and strive to meet their academic um, successes. The other key advantage is that we know many of the children from kindergarten right through till grade nine. So we know their likes and dislikes, what makes them happy, what makes them sad. At a glance, we can tell what mood they're in, whether they need support or an extra snack or um, just some special time with one of their favorite teachers away from the rest of the crowd. Other advantages that we have here, our ability to run very strong outdoor programs, the primary class has a very strong outdoor education, outdoor learning and, and play idea. For the whole school, we operate uh, quite a large garden that all of the school kids work in and learn the um, how to plant, how to harvest, how to save seed, how to put the beds to uh, sleep for the winter and how to wake them up again in the spring and go through that whole cycle again. They also learn cooking skills and food processing skills in that activity as well. Some of the disadvantages that we have for our building operations, it's sometimes a challenge to get things repaired, though we have an amazing, very competent um, maintenance person who doubles as our bus driver on the island who's able to create all kinds of things out of the materials that we have and if it's something urgent the district will make a point of shuttling it over here as quickly as possible but uh, we sometimes get forgotten we have to be the own squeak for the for the wheel so that somebody will give us the grease when necessary but uh, overall the district is extremely supportive of us they've allowed us to run lower than standard class sizes so most often our classes rarely 
go over 20, even with the senior kids, which is a nice change for our in town. And I think they allow us that because they realize the complexity of offering the multi-grade classes that we, that we do have. Other advantages of being a small school is that we can do whole school activities together, where we have last year and for the couple of previous years, we've been running STEM challenges, where STEM is uh, science, technology, uh, engineering, math, and arts. I think they call it STEAM now. But nonetheless, it allows uh, multi-age groups to get together and solve problems, helping each other to come up with a solution to a pre-assigned activity or, or challenge. As a small school, we sometimes face uh, financial challenges that um, they don't necessarily restrict us, but they do guide how we can do things. Like myself, I'm the administrator for the school, but I still teach 60% of the time, and my administrative duties are accomplished in 40% of, of that time. It's uh, the same as a number of the other, because I also teach as well, some of the classroom uh, assignments are split between myself and, and other people, so that I'm working in every classroom in the building, but that also means a limited number of other full-time staff at the school. Currently, we have myself and one other teacher that are what we call a 1.0, which is a, a full-time teacher, and everybody else is currently part-time sharing the job that they do. Um, with our small student population, it also limits a little bit um, the amount of specialist teachers or the access to specialist teachers that we have. So we are lucky to have a team of extremely strong and heroic educators here who can uh, do pretty much everything that there is to be done. And we used to run the school up to grade 10. And with myself and the support of the district, we decided that the students would be better served doing their grade 10 in town where they have access to um, formalized sports programs, uh, dedicated science teachers, math teachers, that kind of thing. Once you get up into the high school level, it is a stretch for everyone to be able to provide the specialist knowledge that's required to give the students the best opportunity that they can have and that they deserve moving forward. So once students reach grade 10 age, they have a couple of choices. Uh, most families opt to either relocate as a family to Campbell River and go to Timberline or Cary High. Some families also will get together and collectively rent a house and do a like a house share with three or four students and then they have rotating house moms or house dads that that look after the kids during the course of the week. The other options are our district offers a, a very detailed eBlend, which is a distance learning program. And the province as well, different districts within the province offer a variety of other programs and distance learning opportunities. What does back to school on Cortez Island look like during the pandemic? In order to prepare for the school year, 
in a pandemic. The staff went through quite extensive training around both uh, trauma-informed learning and looking at opportunities and ways of um, dealing with and recognizing that many of the students and families and staff um, are feeling very anxious around the whole COVID-19 pandemic. So we spent a whole day talking about ways of uh, just staying in tune with what the students' needs were and also ways that we could support each other as staff as the stress levels increased. We also spent a good portion of time reviewing and learning about the protocols for our district's building occupancy. Um, we have set up hand washing stations and hand sanitizers. We clean high touch surfaces uh, several times a day, a minimum of two, but usually more times a day. Um, Children are encouraged to remain hands-free from each other, and the older students are encouraged to maintain social distancing. For the district as a whole, they've opted for, actually I believe it's the province, has opted for a cohort model, which means that each child belongs to a group of learners in the elementary and kindergarten to grade 7 age that cohort of learners is no larger than 60 students. In our district, it's often much less, often maxing out at around 30. Here on Cortez, we have less than 60 students within the building, so that provides us the opportunity to be a single cohort. Now that gives us tremendous advantage when it comes to transportation and freedom moving within the building. Many of the other schools, when interacting with students outside of their own cohort, need to don masks, um, maintain vigilantly their six feet distance, um, stagger start times, stagger recess times and lunch times. Here, because we are all one cohort, we're like one large family grouping, and a lot of those restrictions don't apply to us. We actually um, go above and beyond here what would normally be expected for a cohort just to sort of enhance the safety and give everybody the peace of mind. So students are have all been given reusable face masks and we have spare ones if they would like them. Anyone in the building is allowed to wear a face mask and encouraged. We have about half of our senior class has chosen to wear face masks at this time, um, less so at the younger age, and that mirrors the public health officer's recommendations that younger children is are not really required to wear face masks. So um, we stagger entrances into the washroom. We limit numbers in there. We limit numbers for the staff in the staff room, in the photocopy room. We have changed the entrances and exits to the building to reduce congestion and slowed down uh, children getting off the bus, all in an effort to just provide another level of safety and another layer of um, protection for the kids. Can I just jump back to one of the other um, one of the other differences between 
Cortez School and the broader District 72, um, in the ministry's guidelines, they suggested that all schools would be able to offer independent um, school-based uh, e-learning or distance learning. Now, we as a school here can offer that, but sadly, it's not going to be school-based. The reason for that is that other schools, if, say, a school of 300 students had 20 or 30 students that wanted to do distance learning, they would reassign a teacher from that school and they would be the ones responsible for the e-learning. For us at this school, currently we have, I believe, three students that are signed up for eBlend and we just are unable to offer a full-time teacher that will be able to support those students when our full-time teachers are currently managing full classrooms as well. Um, and I do mean full, as our school population this year is slightly lower than it was last year, but I believe we're at about 17 kids in the primary class, um, 19 in the intermediate class, and I think we're at 13 in the senior class as well. So our teachers are busy, and we also anticipate them being much more busy when the cold season comes along and students are having to stay home until their symptoms are cleared or um, whether they're tested for, for COVID or not, they still need to be out of the building while they're symptomatic. So we'll be sending home schoolwork for all of those children who are either um, just regular victims of seasonal flus and colds or whether, heaven forbid, they were diagnosed with COVID, we would still support them um, in the same way that we've always supported any child that's homesick. So one of the challenges with COVID right now is that we have limited access to the building for adults and user groups. This means that even parents, when they want to come in and talk to a teacher or to myself, they need to phone ahead and make an appointment. And once they're in the building, because they are not part of the cohort, they need to either wear a mask or maintain six feet of social distance. The flip side of that is that we are still able to bring guests into the school to do various presentations, whether it's a guest artist, whether it's uh, people reading to the younger children, whether it's uh, outside drama program being instituted in the, in the school. All of that can still happen as long as we're maintaining proper social physical distance. Some of the things that we have had to give up at this point, and we'll see how that works carrying forward, but many of the after-school programs for the youth on the island used to be held inside the school. That can't happen anymore. We're still encouraging and allowing outdoor activities, so youth soccer, ultimate different activities that are happening. We have adult pickleball happening at the back of the school. All those kinds of activities are still happening and, and welcome. It's just the community's use of the inside of the building at this point has been curtailed simply because we can't then keep up with the rigorous cleaning regime that we have and the need to keep all all areas safe and clean and also to track everybody who's coming into the building and leaving the building in the need in case of a need for contact tracing we were fortunate 
I think, to return to school in June for the one month. As scattered as that was, it gave us all a chance to be in the building with students to practice the protocols that had been put in place and to allay some of the fears that I knew were building both in the community and within the staff around what's going to happen when schools open. Well, schools opened in June um, and everything was okay. And schools have opened now again in September and so far everything is okay. This doesn't mean that there won't be COVID cases in the broader community, uh, possibly the Cortez community, we don't know. At this time, uh, the numbers look very good in our favor, which means that we as a community and a broader community have been vigilant and are being cautious and careful. Uh, my understanding is that children are not presenting a greater risk to the community in general by being together, but that they will more reflect the transmission rates that are already existing within a community. Do you think we could realistically hope to come out of this experience as a school community with some silver linings or positive uh, lasting impacts for the school? One of my hopes moving forward with these unsettling times and the COVID-19 pandemic is that as a community and as a, especially as a school community, we take this opportunity to really embrace the fact that we are all in this together. I've seen uh, a great amount of uh, willingness and enthusiasm to make things work as best as possible from the parent committee, from our, our local uh, parent advisory committee. We've had great turnout and a huge amount of enthusiasm for um, ways in which we can make, we can kind of normalize this year as much as possible and also ideas moving forward on how we can increase our outdoor learning spaces. On Monday of this week, we met as a pack and discussed the possibility of erecting outdoor structures, learning structures. Uh, we're looking at creating a more permanent structure in the front of the building that will be a kind of a legacy, I guess, and a, a long-lasting outdoor structure. We're hoping to model it after a traditional West Coast longhouse with open sides that we could use as, a, as an outdoor classroom. In the interim, we're hoping to get a variety of um, outdoor shade tents that will protect us a little bit from the rain so we can maintain um, going outside as much as possible. Again, assuming that this terrible smoke is going to go away one day and all the rest of that will go back to normal. Um, so I really think coming out of this, the silver linings will be an enhanced sense of community and um, you know, being in this together, and then possibly some structural uh, additions as well with the additional learning spaces outdoors. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM. This is your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie, and this is Folk You radio show done in partnership with Cortez Currents. The question we are asking on today's show 
is what does back to school during the pandemic look like for kids in our community? And what can we learn about the future of education? We have heard from three administrators right now with covering most of our region. Um, so we have heard that was just Brent Wilkin from Cortez Island School. We have also heard from Fred Schaub, and we have also heard from Kai Taylor. Uh, and now I am really pleased um, and excited to introduce representatives um, and administrators from the Powell River School District. We have with us Kristen Brock and Allison Burt, both directors of instruction. Welcome, Kristen and Allison. Uh oh. Hello. Hi there. Oh. Uh, uh, sorry, I you, to you I won't sound very loud, but to our listeners they can hear me. Um, so uh, if you don't hear my questions, just ask me to speak up, and I'll try again. Wonderful. Uh, Thanks for having us, Amanda. So if you would both um, say who you are so we can hear your two beautiful dis and distinct, but not entirely distinct voices, and then tell us a little bit about what you do uh, as directors of instruction in the Powell River School District. Awesome. Thanks, Amanda. Uh, I'm Kristen Brock. I'm the uh, Director of Instruction of Learning and Innovation. And um, basically, uh, that my overarching role is student success K-12, to but I primarily focus on elementary. And I'm Allison Burt, and Kristen and I work as a team. I'm also a Director of Instruction. Um, for me, it's curriculum and assessment, mostly working with the high school programs. And together, we work with the leadership team here in Powell River, and our focus is to improve student success, so both achievement and well-being. And we're really excited to be able to talk to you today about our programs and about our district. So let's start with the, um, the most basic of this. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what back to school looks like for families in Powell River during the pandemic. Okay. <laughs> So back to school in this crazy time. Um, so we have a number of options here in Powell River. Um, of course, our primary focus is on safety, just like the ministry focus. So um, we have a number of protocols and, and um, safety measures that have been put into place. Um, we have several options, probably not that much different than some of your other speakers today. Our first option, of course, is returning to school. And as with all schools in BC, we have learning groups of 60 in this stage for elementary and 120 for secondary. So in, in elementary, we, um, we've really worked hard to try and minimize the number of adults working at any given school in as far as like, for example, music. We wouldn't have a music teacher traveling from school to school. They probably would just focus on one, maybe two schools at the most. And we do things like staggered recess and lunch, and um, our bell times at beginning and ending are, are, have worked out okay because we have enough exits and entrances. But all those really important things to, to um, have for our students and families and staff to feel safe. And then um, balance with that, keeping it warm and welcoming and um, you know, collaborative and creative to try and make it as, as much like it used to be before with all these new uh, measures in place. 
Um, anyway, it's secondary. It's it's been for eight and nines. They have a linear program, and um, so they go throughout the year, but they have a set cohort group. And um, for 10s, 11s, and 12s, they are now on a quarter system, so to help minimize those contacts and really be focused on only two courses at a time. And again, that's something I think other districts, quite a few have done as well. Um, so that's option one. Uh, option two is we actually have through our high school, Brooks, um, we have an online option. So students that attend that high school can actually take online courses through the high school, which is a really, really nice program for 10s to 12s. So that would be option two, um, only for 10 to 12s, of course. And then option three, we actually have our own distributed learning program. It's called Partners in Education. And actually, we have students from all across the province that attend this program. It's been around for many years. So we're really fortunate to have had that um, in our district. And Allison's going to talk a bit more about that later. Our fourth option is um, other distributed learning programs because, as we know, families can choose a distributed learning program anywhere in the province, and um, there's a number of them th that families can choose from. And then option five is homeschooling, and parents can um, choose to homeschool and just be registered within their home school, but, but actually have a homeschool program that's run entirely by parents. Uh, and then finally, it, there's an option six. So if a child has a medical reason um, for not being at school, we're encouraging them to contact their school principal to try and work out a plan as to how they can be supported um, in their learning. So those are those are the main options for us here in Powell River. Can you uh, go into a little bit more detail about your distributed learning program in particular? Yes, you bet. So this is Allison chatting. Um, we have a number of options available to us and have had for a number of years, not just during the um, pandemic. So our Partners in Education program is a distributed learning school. We have three campuses that we um, serve. So we have a campus in Powell River, a campus in Comox Valley, and a campus on Bowen Island. And these three uh, campuses offer both online and blended options. So for our elementary school students, um, they have opportunities to come in and get instruction and have interaction days. And so lots of fun educational and just kind of group activities. And our high school program through PI offers um, similar blended opportunities, but they can also do just online without coming into any of the campuses. Uh, so like most distributed learning programs, we have a mix. Um, so we have students going completely online, not having any time in front of a teacher or at a, at a campus. Um, and then we have um, a blended program as well. And so most of our students at the elementary school um, do do that blended option. And our high school students, some are completely remote and, and sometimes come in for their um, interaction days. So that has been um, a real amazing program to have during the pandemic, because we do have some families um, who have chosen to register at PI 
um, during this time. And it is a well-established program, so we know that um, they're going to be very well taken care of. Um, we have a lot of other programs, too, that I was hoping to talk about um, in terms of our dual credit and our specialty programs as well. Great. We want to hear about them all. Awesome. Um, so in Pell River, we've been really lucky um, to have a forward-thinking superintendent and innovative staff. Um, because we are so small, we have had to be flexible to kind of meet the needs. Um, of our student population and, and then also their interests. So um, because of that, we've been uh, early adopters in dual credit programs and uh, uh, specialty programs like outdoor learning and a digital film school, as well as the academic university credits that we have established with Vancouver Island University. Um, so the fact that we've been doing this for a number of years um, has been really benefiting all of the students in Powell River. And we even have people who come to Powell River specifically because of these programs. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm just gonna talk a little bit more about um, a few of them. Um, one of our programs that we're really proud of is our relationship with um, Tlahaman Nation. Uh, we have something called Ams Tau, which is our community school. And it offers not only our Tlahaman school-age students, but also Tlahaman community members, um, educational, cultural, and recreational programming. Uh, so we have academic upgrading at Tlahaman. Um, they can take courses, so very similar to our distributed learning, but actually get some tutoring and some support at the school. Um, and then they, we also run in collaboration with other um, organizations and Tlaham and some work experience and some employment readiness, readiness programs out of OMSCAL. So that's one we're really proud of. Um, I think we're probably most known for our trades and technical dual credit programs. So these are kind of step one in someone's journey to become Red Seal certified. So we run um, kind of level one or level A, depending on what program you're in. Um, we have an auto program, a carpentry program, a welding program, culinary arts, um, and hairdressing. So this is an opportunity for our grade 12 students to jump right into a college or university program. And it's called dual credit because they get credit for the college or university. And so um, we're established with Vancouver Island University. Um, and they also get credit for high school, so grade 12 courses at the same time. Uh, that one has been going on for some time and we've won kind of lots of awards, our students and our staff with that particular one as well. Um, in kind of in comparison to uh, the academic side, we also run a dual credit academic program. And again, this is with uh, an agreement with Vancouver Island University. So our grade 12 students have access for free, just as our trades programs are, uh, first year business, first year English, psychology, geography, philosophy, sociology, um, and students can opt into four of those courses absolutely free, tuition free, um, in their grade 12 year. And that's a really good opportunity to kind of get their feet wet, to see what universities like. Um, and then it's also in our community, so it feels a little bit more safe to, uh, to take a course like that before venturing off to uh, a, a university outside of the community. 
Uh, so those are the programs that um, have been going on for some time and, and I think we're really well known for and we'll continue to offer those. They've made some changes over the last year about who accesses the dual credits uh, programs, but essentially when students start to think about their grad program in grade 10, they can start planning for those dual credit options in their grade 12 year. And can you tell us a little bit more about the outdoor education options that I know you guys also offer? The outdoor learning, absolutely. Um, so we have a few specialty programs, um, and one of them is an outdoor learning adventure program called Coast Mountain Academy. Um, this has been running for a number of years. It's usually um, in second semester of each year. And so a group, I, I want to say a cohort, but now that cohort means something completely different <laughs> these days. Um, so a group of students, usually 15 to 20 students, spend their entire semester together. And they're focusing on outdoor education, um, leadership, and sustainability. So they do a lot of place-based learning. They kind of get immersed in um, local culture, uh, local opportunities and the experiences that they have um, are really kind of tied to the landscapes that we have um, here in Powell River. Um, very personalized. Uh, the group gets to know each other really, really well um, and they're practicing their leadership skills as well. Um, they're also connected to our elementary schools and they will run a program um, throughout the year. They will sometimes have visits, but at the end of the year, They'll run something for the grade sixes and grade sevens, just kind of depending on the school, um, that focuses on some outdoor learning, and then they get to practice some of those leadership skills. Uh, so that's called Coast Mountain Academy, and um, it is a program that gives you not only credits for high school, but a ton of extra certifications and skills. So I know that a lot of students are interested in that one. Um, similarly, we actually have another program called the Digital Film School. Um, again, this is another program we've run for a number of years. It also runs in second semester. Um, again, another small group um, gets together and they are immersed in the world of filmmaking. Uh, they just won an award. One of our last cohorts won an award through um, the film that they produced. And so they get to learn a whole bunch of, uh, uh, of things about the film industry, including screenplay writing, um, film production, then they do some editing and some acting themselves and the marketing. And that program is run by Tony Papa and uh, some, in some cases we've um, even been able to offer some dual credit um, with that particular one, um, but that kind of changes from year to year. So again, those specialty programs are something that um, we're really proud of and people have an opportunity to do through, through our school and it counts for both their grade, um, grade 11 and grade 12 courses and their grad program. This is wonderful. I just want to take a moment to let listeners know that while I am on the phone with Allison and Kristen, if you have questions that you'd like to ask from them, I can't take your phone call, but you can email the letter U at folku.ca. So that's letter U at F-O-L-K-U 
www.allisonmcgrath.ca. If you email me your questions, then I can ask them of Allison and Kristen and get your get your answers. Um, so uh, excuse that interruption. I w- was hoping that um, you guys could also tell us a little bit about if parents are listening and they are not currently in Powell River, um, I'm assuming ones who are in Powell River have a little bit more of an idea about how to kind of get started, but I am part of a community of people who um, are looking to Powell River as a possible place for high school. If, if, if people out there are thinking about moving to Powell River at some point and wanting to be able to take part in some of these more innovative options, what's the best way to get started to learn, understand more about what might meet their children's needs um, and to begin that process? Great question. Um, I think the very first step would to be checking out our school website, or sorry, our district website. Um, we are located at www.sd47.bc.ca. And so all of our schools and all of our specialty programs have their own web pages from that website. And so to get started, I would encourage parents to take a look at the um, website details for you know, CMA, dual credit, uh, Brooks, and um, let that kind of be their, their beginning place. Um, if people have questions about any of these programs or about what that might look like, um, say you do have a student that is really interested in, in maybe joining um, just for a semester in CMA or even digital film school, um, please reach out and we can kind of direct you to the right people. We have a, an email that we tend to use for our inquiries, so that is um, info at sd47.bc.ca and so people can uh, reach out to that email with any of their questions and they will get directed to the right people. Uh, The opportunities to come to Powell River um, to take these kinds of courses, um, of course we welcome, uh, but you don't necessarily have to move here to be involved in, in some of those programs that I was talking about. So uh, like some of your previous uh, uh, people who kind of went before us talked about, we are a distributed learning program, our PI program. And so if there are parents out there that would like to explore distributed learning um, and want just the remote option, we are set up to do that for uh, most of our, our grades, um, 8 through 12. So that's something that you can look into. And then for our Digital Film School and Coast Mountain Academy, over the years, uh, we've had a number of students just move here for a semester um, to take advantage of those kinds of programs. And there is an application process for Digital Film School and for Coast Mountain Academy. Uh, So uh, when you go onto the website, there's uh, a button there that you press for application. They're both online applications. And um, basically, they ask you questions about why you're interested in outdoor learning or digital film school um, and, and kind of gives a, a, a personal profile as opposed to just an academic profile. Um, so that's on the school website as well. And as far as our uh, dual credit options for trades, technical, and academic, those are for students who are in the district already. So um, for those students who are wanting to maybe move here um, with their families and uh, get involved with those dual credits, again, that's an application. 
and most of our applications start to take place at the end of the school year, kind of in the spring of each year, um, depending on the amount of student interest we have, they'll sometimes do another mini um, course uh, selection for those kinds of programs at the beginning of the year. Um, but because they're pretty popular, they tend to fill up pretty quickly um, in that kind of spring planning stage. So for people who are interested in looking more at Pal River and at our programs and um, our specialty programs, uh, really the best place to start is at our school district website, sd47.bc.ca, and then questions to info at sd47.bc.ca. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about what you um, think and hope the future of education might look like in Powell River, but also beyond, if we were to really use the pandemic as a catalyst for real change? That's a great question. Um, I, I, first of all, I feel really lucky that, that I'm here in Pal River and we had so many creative options already. Um, so we kind of felt like we were headed down the right track. But I feel like this um, pandemic has actually really emphasized that even more. And um, we have to continue to make things flexible for students, staff, and families. And we need to have choice and options for learning. And um, I think it's forced us all to come together even more to build these creative opportunities. Um, I also think that um, there's a couple things. I think that we need to recognize that all students are different and come with different strengths and challenges. And I think that's really emphasized all this. And um, we need our, our students to, to, to come in and recognize their, their strengths and feel proud of who they are and be excited about learning. We want to engage our students, so they want to continue learning outside of school. I thought it was really um, so uh, rewarding during the remote learning, seeing some of the creative ways that, that teachers and parents and students connected and demonstrated their learning. So I think it's just taking us down a whole different positive road that we were already started down, but. I think it can only get better through, through all this time. And I think um, also within all this, it's, it's emphasized the importance of teamwork and collaboration um, as all members of our staff and families and community and students having a voice as well, all to, t to come together to find out you know, what, what magic can happen when we, when we work together. Do you want to add to that? Um, one of your speakers earlier, Kai, talked about his vision for learning uh, through this pandemic and beyond. And he talked about um, that he was thinking that the merging of distributed learning and blended learning would eventually just be called learning. And we wholeheartedly believe in that same process as well. Um, one of the exciting things that happened at the beginning of the uh, pandemic and the shift to having everyone remote was the increased interest in technology and how to leverage technology to improve teaching and learning. Um, so that was super exciting because people were reaching out and saying, hey, how can I use this tool to engage my students? Or how can I use this tool to help um, teach this particular concept or lesson? 
and that hasn't disappeared. I think um, after the pandemic um, is through and we move into uh, what learning is after the pandemic, I think that's going to remain that excitement and enthusiasm for technology. And then also looking at how um, our blended learning opportunities, uh, I think they'll stick around after um, the pandemic is over as people get to see how to use personalized, or sorry, how to use blended learning to kind of personalize and then also differentiate for students and, and their interests and their needs and their goals. Uh, so that's really exciting for us as a, as a learning services team to see that shift and excitement build in uh, creating that kind of future. It is so inspiring. Um, I want to take a moment to let people know that they can send their questions to Allison and Kristen, even while they are on our phone line. If you want to send in a question, you may do so at u at folku.ca. So that is the letter U at F-O-L-K-U, the letter U dot C-A. Uh, and so we already have a question for you guys um, that ties in really well with what you were just saying. Okay. Um, so this is what our listener sent in. My child has a learning disability, which severely affects his ability to read and write, but he wants to be part of a learning community and is very intelligent. What do you recommend in, S in school district 47 to get him started? Um, so I think that the answer, I think that the question was, um, my child has a learning disability, um, which makes reading and writing difficult, and they are hoping to get some recommendations on how to participate in a learning community um, in our in the programs that are in Pell River. We, we're having a tough time hearing you, but I think that was the question, was it? You got it perfect. Perfect. So, so thinking more in the terms of being part of our distributed learning program, is that what you're, is that what you think the question was? I, I'd say both, maybe okay. distributed okay. learning, but also uh, sounds like maybe also being in person. Okay. All right. Perfect. So I, I can speak from, from, I'm assuming this child is in elementary, but maybe not. Um, however, I can say that we that's part of, I think, what I was trying to say earlier about recognizing students' um, strengths and challenges and, like, really moving towards more of a strength-based approach. Um, so there's so many, you know, because a child struggles to read and write does not mean that they struggle, they aren't e extremely intelligent and able to do lots of thinking and learning. So I think it's, it's about engaging them in ways that they can demonstrate their knowledge and have conversations and sharing and then also finding ways to support um, some strategies for them to use to access um, written material um, on their own. But, you know, we've come so far from where we were 10 years ago even in recognizing that a child with a learning disability just means they're struggling to access some part of their learning but that doesn't mean that they can't learn and grow and um, access anything that any other child in, the, in a classroom or in a distributed learning program <laughs> would access. Like, 
it's I, I think we have to be really careful not to to put people in boxes and make sure we support them where they're coming from. There's also a number of um, opportunities for technology to help support, even right in right. You, you could access even at home. I know on Google there is um, some tools where it will actually read materials to you, so you can do an internet search and it will and it will it will actually read the information to you, so you can access it orally, or sorry, auditorily instead of instead of reading it. Um, there's there's also programs to help with speech to text, so you can um, you can say what you're thinking, and it will it will record the information in your program, and then you could help support editing it. So just giving students opportunities to to grow and learn given the strengths that they have. So it's, I, I, I can't emphasize enough how much I hope that we're moving towards a strength-based approach rather than a deficit approach. So um, providing as many opportunities as we can. And was that was that you, Kristen, or was you? Yes, that was Kristen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? Do you need more clarification? No, uh, that was really good. Um, it's and actually something I feel so passionate about. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, so we have another question, I hope you can hear, um, from a listener who says, uh, this is clearly coming from Cortez. Um, would it be to a learner's advantage? Oh, so they're talking about the, um, the, the some of the alternative programs that you guys were talking about earlier that you have to apply for. And they said, would it be to the learner's advantage to already be enrolled in School District 47 before the, most of those were high school programs um, before they got there? Or is it truly just sort of first come, first serve? So the high school programs that I was um, talking to, the Digital Film School and Coast Mountain Academy, they, um, they're looking for uh, very interested students. So that does not mean they have to be in Powell River to apply and get a seat. Um, the only one that you do need to be a Powell River School District 47 student um, before accessing um, are our dual credit academic and our dual credit trades and technical programs. Um, so those are reserved for students who are in a School District 47 program, but that could include our PI program. So if there are listeners that are interested in pursuing something like that in their grade 12 year, um, possibly enrolling with our Partners in Education PI program, they could still be living um, in Cortez, taking the PI courses via online. Um, we don't have the blended option, obviously, on Cortez. Uh, but they could be taking some distributed learning courses through PI and then make the dual credit program part of their graduation program. So the advantages of, of living here are to access the dual credit. Um, but again, if they're in a PI program, that's still considered a school district uh, uh, school and uh, they would be accessible to the dual credit options that everyone else has here in Powell River. This is all so inspiring. 
Um, I am wondering, this is sort of a question back to Kristen. Um, uh, in your answer to the person about recognizing strengths and challenges um, for each individual learner, how is this, your school district working with your teachers to help them get access to all these amazing programs and resources within your district so that when they um, have a child who has needs maybe they don't know how to meet, um, that they're able to get the kind of help that they need to be able to better offer um, this whole range of learning opportunities to the children? That's a great question. So we, we actually, another member of our district team is our um, learning support, ser- sorry, <laughs> student, student support services. Um, anyway, she's in charge of, of um, overseeing um, programming for any of our identified students. So if you, you were identified as having um, some sort of learning disability or something, she would be part of of overseeing the school team. So all of our elementary schools have a a team of teachers beyond the classroom teachers. So we have a student support services teacher who um, looks after students that that have specific identified needs. We also have um, an intervention team. So this is a team of, it's a district team of teachers that also supports in each of the schools. And um, something new that we're, we're doing this year is we're, we're meeting as a team as well so that our approach as a district is more consistent. And, um, and basically, it's, it's about finding kids that maybe need some, some extra um, support in literacy or numeracy and maybe even um, through our school counselors, um, some especially right now, maybe some um, social emotional needs. Um, so it's really all of our schools have teams of teachers outside the classroom that work to support the classroom teachers for all of our students, regardless of um, what, their, what their needs or strengths are. Um, and it's really, I think we're moving more and more to that, that approach. We also are really trying to, um, we, we, we have a whole, um, <laughs> I don't know how you, our, our identifying um, hashtag is SD47learns and Allison and I both feel very passionately about the fact that as educators we need to be always learning and always growing, including ourselves. And um, so we encourage that within our district as well. We send out uh, a newsletter twice every two weeks with different ideas and provide workshop opportunities and work with teachers. Um, So we just try and really focus on the fact that um, teaching and learning is constantly changing and we have to to all change with it (laughs) and in a supportive way. And if your listeners are interested in SD47Learns, you can find us on Facebook. Um, And so we have an SD47Learns page. And then on Twitter, we will tweet uh, with the hashtag, hashtag SD47Learns. And so these are opportunities for all educators um, to kind of have that growth mindset, like Kristen was mentioning, and really uh, learn from one another because um, even though we are the ones kind of providing some of the professional learning and workshops, 
we learn just as much from the teachers that we work with. So it's a real collaborative and reciprocal um, approach to um, improving our teaching and learning. So uh, that, again, is on Facebook and Twitter if you're interested. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, we definitely here at Folk University appreciate the idea of we are all able to be lifelong learners. Um, it's been so inspiring. Do you have any last uh, words of encouragement or advice for listeners before you, we say goodbye? Um, we just want to thank you for the opportunity for showcasing um, our little community, Powell River. We are so proud of the programs and options that we're able to provide families and students. And uh, we really welcome any of your questions and um, uh, feedback. So please reach out to us uh, through that info at sd47.bc.ca because we'd love to hear from you. Yes, thank you. I, I echo what Allison just said. I appreciate having this opportunity to uh, talk about things that I love <laughs> and um, you know I, I guess the only other thing I would say is you know it is a difficult time but I think if we can just focus on um, our relationships and um, caring and kindness um, I think we're, we're all going to come out of this in a, in a better place at the end and, uh, and I think that's important. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 Cortez Community Radio, and this is the Folk U Radio Show. We just had on uh, two representatives, two administrators from the Powell River School District, Kristen Brock and Allison Burt, talking a little bit about what school looks like uh, this year over there. Um, I am your host, Amanda O'Fox Gillespie, and this is the end of a special show looking at back to school in the pandemic and what we can learn from this strange time to help us improve the future of education for all kids. I thank you for being part of today's show. We had a lot of callers, five different administrators join us from uh, numerous different schools, and I hope that you tuned in and learned as much as I did. You can continue to send questions to you at folku.ca. That's letter U at folk, F-O-L-K, letter U dot C-A. Afterwards, and I will make sure they get to the right administrator uh, to get them answered. Thank you for tuning into yet another Folku radio show. This dead air is me trying to get my exit uh, <laughs> to play, <laughs> which maybe, okay, uh, it's not working that one way. So I'm going to figure out another way to have my uh, beautiful new exit uh, play. All right, I think we got it. That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM 
cortezradio.ca. Brain's almost always got something lame it's got to say. This show is brought to you by the Local Journalism Initiative, the program funded by Heritage Canada.